Welcome to the She He We Awakening podcast. We are a wife and husband therapy team whose professional and personal lives are centered on psychology and spirituality. We love sharing what we've learned on our journey of becoming conscious through relationship, and we invite you to get to know us and hopefully hear in our stories something that can support you in your life too. Hello, my love. We meet again. Hello, hello, my love. <laughs> We're going to have a great, great time today talking about um, emotional immaturity. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this today is because I just finished a great book called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And I thought it had so many um, wonderful lists and quizzes and concepts in it. Um, that I, I probably would recommend this book to any of our clients, any friends, um, my children, if I could, you know, if they were interested <laughs> remotely in reading about these things, um, and really, really just anyone, because I think emotional immaturity is just something that everyone on this planet is dealing with to varying degrees. Yes. So what I did was I took um, the contents of the book and just jotted down some subtitles or some headings from the different um, categories or symptoms of an emotionally immature uh, caregiver, or in this case, we can just say person because mm-hmm. we're not really dealing with parent-child relationships right. currently at this time. Right. So we have this huge list and we want to just talk through the list. Right. And so even though this list is coming from a book about um, identifying where your parenting may have been lacking mm-hmm. <laughs> as a child, or maybe even as a parent, where, uh, where as a parent um, succumbing to some of this as well. Really, we're talking about this in a more broad, universal sense. This, this really does apply to everybody, certainly um, to those who are engaging in the conversations about conscious relationship. Right. Um, certainly, this is going to be very, very helpful. Um, in terms of identifying these things within ourselves to benefit the relationship that we're in. Um, Mm -hmm. And I say it that way very intently because what you don't want to do is make a checklist and go about identifying all of these things in your partner and (laughs) (laughs) letting them know that you've found them. Um, (laughs) In fact, that's probably one of the signs of emotional immaturity. For sure. (laughs) Constantly letting your partner know how they are emotionally immature. So, um, yes. So this is, this will be very broad directed at, at really anybody who has any interest in, um, self-reflection, self-development. Um, of course, everything we talk about here pertains to spiritual awakening as well. Absolutely. Yes. So again, we just have this giant list of, of characteristics of people who, um, are emotionally immature. And uh, just to frame this correctly, um, most people on the planet struggle with this. Um, it's Some of it's, this at times, yeah. Yeah, and not everyone's going to meet every one of these qualities. But if you right. do recognize yourself in any of these uh, areas, um, just know that it's just something that's evolving within you and you're you're doing your best. If you're listening to this, you're interested in healing and that's a good sign. Um, but it, but emotional immaturity comes from being parented and surrounded by other people who also uh, struggle with these things. We are, um, in nature, we mimic 
we mimic our surroundings. We mimic, you know, people learn by observation. So if you have parents who are struggling to um, work with their feelings and emotions, then the children will naturally struggle. And of course, the other thing to say is um, we evolve over time to become more emotionally mature. Um, we can't expect our, you know, three-year-old, seven-year-old, 12-year-old to be a fully mature, um, emotionally mature human being. Like they're going to be growing into this. So this isn't really applicable to your kids. They're, they're going to have varying degrees of emotional and intellectual right. capacity for right. these skills. Yeah, I think there's a pretty direct correlation between uh, emotional maturity and ego development. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're talking about children who aren't supposed to have fully formed, fully developed egos, they haven't, you know, quote, individuated yet, then that means they're not really supposed to be fully developed emotionally either. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think because of that, as we go through this list, people can keep in mind that one way of, of languaging it is emotional immaturity. Um, another way of languaging it is um, insufficient ego strength or development. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. So in order to be emotionally mature, we have to have a sense of ego strength and identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Know who we are, right. which includes our strengths and our weaknesses. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Our advantages and disadvantages, mm -hmm. if you want to put it mm -hmm. with less judgmental language. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing to know is that uh, as you're listening to this, um, you may uh, be able to remember that when you were a child, you felt more emotionally present or mature than your parent. And that's possible. Some children do develop more emotional maturity earlier despite having parents who weren't perhaps very present. Right. So anyways, okay. okay. So the very first category or characteristic is that when people um, struggle with emotional maturity, they are very rigid and single-minded. They tend to be uh, black and white thinkers. Right. Yeah. And I think that, that, um, as it pertains to our um, spiritual awakening, um, getting out of black and white thinking is, is one of the first and most important things that we have to do or be willing to do. I mean, it's certainly not like a, just a switch that you can flick and say, okay, I, I decide not to be a black and white thinker, but it is a prerequisite for so much of the awakening process that if we're, if we're not at least aware of what that looks like and feels like, and we're not willing to self-reflect on when we have become rigid um, in our own definitions and ideas and concepts and belief mm -hmm. systems um, and willing to soften those up a little bit, then um, not only is that a sign of emotional immaturity, um, it is a serious impediment to any real growth in consciousness. Yes, absolutely. And when you're working with people in the, in the office who are um, struggling with this kind of black and white thinking, um, for me, those are the people that almost never move into doing deeper la layers of healing because they're um, black and white thinking is about keeping 
reality small and contained Mm -hmm. so that it's more manageable. If, um, if you expand your awareness to include the fact that like your perspective can be true, but also many other people's perspectives can be true, that there is not one right way or one wrong way, or that there's a spectrum of experience. It becomes very overwhelming for people who basically have not been taught how to work with the feelings that naturally arise around that. Mm-hmm. So these are the people who, when you, when you offer your perspective, they shut it down immediately or argue their point of view um, or, or literally can't engage in conversation on it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's um, deeply polarizing, obviously, mm-hmm. right. That's, that's what black and white are their polar opposites um and of course you know politics is always a great example um we won't go into specifics because it's a waste of time and everyone can think of it yeah (laughs) Yeah. everybody's got their own you know specific trigger around that that they can work with but Mm -hmm. uh, but just watching politics at large and the way that that's playing out um you know it's it's designed its intent originally is to be um, an honoring of different perspectives for the purpose of of allowing the highest truth to arise out of that tension of opposites. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we see um, happening, not just in the U.S., it's it's happening all over. But we live in the U.S., and most of our watchers are in the U.S. Is this rigidity of viewpoint um, where people people can't even actually have an honest conversation about a topic um, because there's this fear and it is a, it is the fear of a weak ego. Mm -hmm. There's this fear that if I soften for just a moment and really listen to what you have to say and let it impact me that, that um, my worldview will break down or you'll take advantage of me or Mm -hmm. something catastrophic will happen. Um, And so that's part of why we have the current state of affairs is, is that that um, rigidity of thinking has permeated up to the highest level of the government. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, in a smaller way, that's, that's what causes the, uh, the drama in families when, you know, you have, uh, for example, one part of the family might be um, pro-vaccine and pro-mask and another part of the family might be anti-vaccine, um, anti-max. And, and then people are saying, we can't even have a conversation. I've lost all of my family members because of whatever. Mm-hmm. It's because people in the family system, the whole family system have this rigid um, mindset where they're unable to be flexible with one another and talk through these things. Right. Yeah. And so for each one of these, maybe we offer um, an attitude antidote. Yes. So, so what, what's what's the at antidote or what's what's one way of of antidoting or or moving out of this uh rigidity or to put it in the language of the context of this podcast um recognizing that there's a lack of emotional maturity and and how do you go about developing that if it wasn't taught to you how do you how do you build some emotional maturity in this particular area um i think Generally speaking, I, I don't know if I would narrow it down to this particular area, 
But generally speaking, with every one of these categories and characteristics, what it boils down to is being able to be present with your own emotions and become less reactive and develop that observer quality that is the voice inside that says, oh, look, my partner's getting upset about this right now. Oh, look, I'm reacting as well. That more distant observer function is what really is needed. And I think we can probably do a whole separate podcast um, to talk about that. Sure. But what I, I do think would be helpful also is like in the moment, how can you deal with someone that you're in relationship with who's in a rigid, who's triggered? Because emotionally immature people are not usually always um, exhibiting these qualities. It's most often when they're really um, aroused by something or they've been triggered. Um, It's a little bit inconsistent, which is why it's sometimes hard to know whether the person you're with is mature or not, because they may sometimes be able to be mature and sometimes they can't. Anyways, if you're in the moment with someone and they're in a rigid mindset and you feel like this, the conversation is escalating and you have the conscious awareness to see this happening, you can, um, what I would do is I would become more quiet. I'd become more soft in my energy. And I, if it seemed like the person might be able to calm down and settle down, um, I might ask them for more information about what makes you think this way or tell me more about that or i might not do that at all i might just say okay and walk away okay so what you just described to me is actually an exercise in significant emotional maturity so um it's almost i don't know if you intended it this way but but that sounded like something that we can do for others to help them when they're in their rigid emotionally immature place that's what i meant so instead of targeting this assuming that people are who are watching this are immature i want to give people resources when they come in upon this in their relationship dynamics how can you be with someone your partner your mother your kid whoever in their moments of struggle emotional immaturity yeah yeah okay um for me, um, I, I think that moving out of this rigid black and white mentality, um, it's, it's not easy, but it is simple. Uh, and the simpleness of it for me is recognizing that the process of growing and learning is by definition a process of being wrong. Mm-hmm. And you just have to, you're either willing to accept that or not and accept that in your bones, not just as an intellectual concept. Oh yeah, I get that, I get that. I get that if I learned something new, then that, that that means that what I knew before was somehow lacking or insufficient or was not the highest truth. But this is something that you have to be willing to accept in your bones that with any luck, you wake up every day and realize how you were wrong the day before. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's called, that's called growth. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that requires a, um, a, a humility and really a willingness to be wrong mm-hmm. or at the very least to say, maybe there's something here that no matter how sure I feel of myself, I'm missing. Mm. Maybe there's a nuance here. Um, 
let me let me look for it um and that would be sort of the next evolution of this even would be um setting out with the intent to find out where you're wrong mm -hmm. and that will soften up these rigid black and white structures um way of operating in the psyche yeah that is kind of um I think we'll talk about this in another podcast, but that is kind of the masculine path into this mm. a little bit. No. Of making, <laughs> making that decision <laughs> to, I'm going to find all that we know, yeah. um, which I think is wonderful. Right. Uh, obviously, we want to do that. It, the, the intent of that is to not shame ourselves or uh, to become, um, you know, uh, self-abusive or <laughs> self-critical that that's not what it is um it's it's there's a childlike quality to it mm. um where um it's like playing in an unknown space and recognizing i've never been here before this is all very new and exciting i don't have a map of this in my head i don't know which way to go i don't know what's over there let me figure it out let me go see and and being willing to go one way and hit a dead end and go, okay, well, that wasn't it. Let me go explore yeah. over here. Yeah. I think the, um, another alternative to having that conscious awareness of, okay, I, I know I don't see the world correctly and I want to see all of the ways that I am missing the truth. Um, for me, being able to be with my emotions and let them be like, the waves in the ocean and just experience them has made it so that the truth could be revealed to me um, somewhat painlessly. So like if you can face the feelings about that you have about a certain topic and just be with them, then the higher truth just sort of, I don't know, emerges mm. from the waves mm. or something. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is um, not my first instinct, but it's definitely something that I've spent a lot of time doing. And, and mm -hmm. I think to your point about what I said earlier, that's, that's definitely a, a more quote feminine, not, not womanly, just right. feminine. Feminine. Mm -hmm. um, feminine energetic approach is to dive into the emotions um, and let them speak the truth. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, let them kind of wash away what's in the way and then the mm. truth just arises mm -hmm. kind of like a i don't know i have this image of like a pearl arising from the ocean yes mm. um yeah so at, in dealing with the rigid thinking and the the right or wrong thinking there is um if you're the person who's more aware then you can be calmer gentler more loving in that moment and either choose to continuing continue the conversation or disengage whatever is going to give you um the most peace i suppose <laughs> whatever feels right intuitively um sure. that is is difficult like you said that's difficult mm -hmm. but i think it becomes less difficult when you practice being with your feelings and being non-reactive in them and yeah okay Ready for the next one? Let's do it. Okay. Speaking of reactive, um, people who are emotionally immature have a very low stress tolerance. So, and they tend to have these very stereotyped reactions, um, certain things, and then they just blow up. 
um, and it's somewhat predictable mm -hmm. and they and they have uh, predictable uh, triggers mm -hmm. road rage uh, things breaking um, kid didn't score a goal or who knows whatever I'm like throwing that out there um, so they they are very emotionally reactive but at the same time they are very protective of their reactions so they use these coping strategies to kind of uh, deny what they're experiencing, deny what other people are experiencing or distort what's happening mm. or displace what's happening onto someone else. Right. So, so it's the emotionality of a child combined with the intellect of an adult, mm -hmm. which is a really dangerous thing, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so because people, these people, have grown up in homes that where parents also had low stress tolerance and were blowing up and being very reactive, that is normal to them. Right. And so when they have the same reaction, they usually don't think anything of it. Mm -hmm. Of course I got angry at you. You, you know, didn't do the laundry again or whatever the thing is. Right. This is why early in the relationship, you set the precedent of never doing the laundry. <laughs> you mean you or me no, i'm speaking for myself oh. of course <laughs> obviously yes. right right um yeah and and the low the low stress tolerance is um it's something that um i associate with the philosophical and um kind of spiritual realm of alchemy um, mm. to me there's a again there's at least a, a need to shift perspectives for for many people into one of understanding that stress can be productive mm -hmm. but we have to learn how to relate to it and allow it to alchemize something and change something within us right in the same way that the stress of a, of a workout um in the correct dosage over a sufficient period of time builds strength the same is true of the the stress that just comes with being a human being and living life and being in relationship and and when we're constantly reacting and lashing out in these mm -hmm. predictable destructive sort of ways then we are um negating the potential alchemy of that stressor and it's no longer doing anything productive for us we've just sort of blown the lid off and all the pressure has escaped um and now the the coal can't be turned into a diamond right yeah that's an example of an alchemical process so so understanding that that um stress in and of itself is not fundamentally bad or wrong i think is an important antidote to this particular expression of emotional immaturity recognizing that well <clears throat> i think a good example of this would be um this i want to say it's not really a millennial phenomenon i think it's it's what's the generation after that gen z gen, gen z um this this concept of the safe space mm. and having to create safe spaces on campuses where you know um no stress is welcomed um and the and and 
the idea that that is um, a fundamental human right that that you have to to sort of be in isolation and be in a in a vacuum that stress cannot penetrate. Um, it's just not consistent with being a human being at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we all have the right to have boundaries and protect ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the extreme version of this where um, there's zero stress tolerance. Are you talking about that TV show that we watched together? Where uh, I'm, I'm not talking about anything in specific, but <laughs> I was remembering that um, God, the sex lives of college girls or something like that. Remember oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do where they campus. had the, the um, yes, they sort of made fun of the, uh, yeah, the there safe a, space. There was a women's center. A women's where, center safe space where you yeah. couldn't say anything, tri the trigger free zone. You literally couldn't say anything, which right. I mean, as we, as we're, we're all humans here, we know that it's very difficult to not trigger someone else. Um, it's happening all the time, whether we are conscious of it or not. Right. It's very difficult yeah. to avoid it. It reminds me of, so this topic of having low stress tolerance and having this, these predictable um, stereotyped reactions. It reminds me of this, the, the phrase like red button or my hot button or Sure. Whatever people say, we're like, this person knows exactly which button to push on yep. me. Yep. And what people are talking about is areas where people have emotional immaturity around mm. a certain thing. Mm -hmm. And so they have this very predictable response. Right. I mean, I knew in every partner that I've ever had, I knew like, no, please don't bring up the price of gas around my ex-husband because I knew that was going to get a very predictable and stereotypical reaction from him where it was like a whole soapbox um, because that was an issue that was triggering for him right so we all have these kinds of well sure. I, I don't think I do anymore but I used to have topics that I didn't like discussing and I had more resistance around yeah, I, I, you know, I think, again, the way that you just phrased that, I think, is a, an important nuance. Um, I, I still have topics that I don't care to discuss, but not because I'm incapable of tolerating the stress of them. Mm. I just recognize where there's value to be had um, and where there's not, <laughs> you know, what's productive and, and what is an invitation to just, you know, fling manure at one another. <laughs> um, which is usually what these things mm. devolve into. And so I, I'm inclined to reject those invitations. So I have very good boundaries. You know, I have, uh, as you and I know, there are certain people who have rules when they come into our home and you can talk about this. You cannot talk about that. Mm. Not because again, it's, it's a nuanced, it's different. It's not, yes, my home is a safe space and I have the right to create the kind of energetic environment I want to be in, mm -hmm. but, but I don't, I don't try to force that out into the world. And it's also not because I can't tolerate the stress or I'm not willing to, it's just that this is a skill we develop over time. We recognize when the emotional immaturity in others is such that, again, there's, there's no productive conversation to happen yeah, there. Absolutely. It's just as soon as the topic comes up, it's going to instantly devolve into unconsciousness and insanity yeah. and 
and cliche and archetypal inflation and spiritualized ego and so many of the other conversations um, right. that we've had. And so there's just no point. And I don't want to waste that life force. Energy. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to waste my time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, if you've already had, you've already made an attempt. So moving into the phase of like how to deal with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you've already made the attempt to have a conversation about a certain area, that's a red button issue. Um, sometimes it's easier to just never broach that, that subject again with that person, assuming that it's not one of those deal breaker items on your list where you simply must have coherence with this person on this topic. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Any other thoughts for you on how to be with someone with low stress? How do you be with me when I'm <laughs> um, having a low tolerance moment? How do I be with you? I just trust you to take care of yourself. I don't know how helpful that is. Yeah. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not invested in fixing anything. I'm not taking anything personally. So there's no problem. Mm-hmm. You can, right. you can be however you need to be. And I'll just be over here eating cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's fine right yeah that's that's wonderful it's a wonderful attitude to have again it's kind of the same solution be with your own emotions see what comes up for you take note of that if someone else is having a big reaction and it frightens you or you feel sad by it then that's your that's your reaction to take care of yeah yeah and obviously keep yourself safe if someone you know is violent you got to get out of there i don't I hate to say that I have to say that, but sometimes you do. Sure. Um, yes, but I, I want to then offer uh, the antidote for recognizing within ourselves mm-hmm. and helping to break ourselves out of um, any emotional immaturity or develop some emotional maturity. Um, again, not necessarily easy, but very simple. You have to be willing to tolerate stress. Yeah. You have to learn how. Yeah. And it's, yes, you do have to learn how, and it does, it starts with a willingness um, and it starts with a willingness to tolerate, you know, the low stress of somebody having a different opinion. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody's opinion is white and your opinion is black. So to come back to the previous point, right. And to live in the tension of that and, and to just feel the tension of that in your body and breathe and realize, okay, the world isn't ending here because somebody has a different point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can just sit in the tension of that myself and, and not have to do anything else. And, yeah. and being willing to sit and breathe through that tension, that is the, that is the exercising of the emotional maturity muscle Yep. that will Thank develop it over time. That. Yep. Thank you for saying that. Because I think a lot of, one of the misunderstandings about therapy and um, becoming more conscious is that once you know that you have a hot button or a trigger that you should just be able to snap out of it um, immediately and not be reactive anymore. And my reality hasn't matched that. It's taken me sometimes years to break down these patterns of Mm -hmm. having certain reactions to certain kinds of stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if anything, to me, it's, um, it's more just being at peace with the fact that that does happen Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. really need, not really needing to fix it as long as it's not, 
as long as it's not causing, you know, harm to myself or others. Right. Yeah. Yes. That makes me think also that's a little bit of a Buddhist uh, or masculine um, mental strategy. Oh, to I've understand. done it again, haven't I? Um, in a good way. Um, oh, good. I think it's important for people to hear this and maybe have context around it. Yeah. Um, the Buddhist path is one of uh, observation and acceptance. Do nothing. Mm-hmm. Let it be. Oh, I'm having a reaction. And over time, you become completely uh, detached from the reaction simply by observing it. Right. The tantric or feminine path is, oh, I'm in the emotion. Let me let me ride it almost like you're a surfer on the wave and let it finish feel Mm -hmm. it finish Mm -hmm. and you get sort of used to it you're like oh i know the flavor of this Mm." and you detach that way right yep yep both are both are good okay so the next one is um avoidance so people who are emotionally immature will do what feels best to them they will avoid what's difficult so if there's um, an impending confrontation um, or they know that they're coming in, for instance, this will happen with clients, they'll know they're coming into a certain piece of work that they mm-hmm. are afraid to work through, they will cancel or no show or, or get in a car accident on the way to work. <laughs> Truly, I mean, I mean all the unconscious can create all sorts of avoidance strategies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Or get sick. I mean, I had a lot of that when I was really in you know, diving into a lot of the heavy duty work that I needed to do. Um, Mm -hmm. It always seemed like when I had a big piece of work to do and was scheduled and was, you know, ready to go in and do that, it was like suddenly my day imploded and, you know, my schedule became chaos or something seems to happen. And, and, and the easy, the easy out is to, is to make the intellectual justification for the avoidance, even mm. when it seems like it's an outer force. Oh, well, I had no control over this. I mean, literally yeah, it was I, a car accident. I pulled into the intersection and a car T-boned yeah. me, right? Yeah. It's, it's just the, the full acceptance of everything that's coming into your experience and recognizing, well, shit, there's a pattern here. Every time yeah, I something. Mm-hmm. go to do, you know, a piece of work, something comes up. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I think the avoidance also relates back to, um, I guess this is, I'm on a kick today on on this whole safe space (laughs) (laughs) phenomenon. Be on it. That's fine. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's another example, right? It's, it's um, avoidance is being in the black and refusing to even allow the white space to exist. Mm. It's, um, it's recognizing that there's a source, there are sources of stress in the world and just refusing to engage with them, mm-hmm. um, which is like the pizza refusing to go into the oven, you know, <laughs> and it's just not very good unless it's cooked. <laughs> <laughs> we, sometimes we just have to be the pizza. That's my <laughs> sagacious statement of the day be the pizza be the pizza be the pizza um yeah and that was you know a lot of um families who are the emotional maturity that goes into being a codependent family or an enmeshed family there is this this kind of a a 
people can get passive aggressive because the aggression has to come out somehow mm-hmm. and people don't want to be aggressive overtly. So, um, yeah, I think that's a very common trait in, in family dynamics that the hard topics are avoided. Right. We don't talk about the messy stuff. Um, oh, mom's having a bad day. And so everyone's like walking like 30 feet around her, right? you know, rather yeah. than confronting it be able to be in the the energy of that yeah Yeah. don't don't be loud dad sleeping i mean all of that is this avoidance stuff Mm. wanting to avoid confrontation and further emotional dysregulation yeah yep okay that's kind of an easy one okay um all right so the next one is uh people who are emotionally mature tend to um speak and communicate subjectively and have a hard time being objective. So they don't really know how to see things on a factual level and um, be dispassionate Mm -hmm. when they're talking through things. Everything is tinged with their unspoken emotions. Anything to say about that? Go on. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) so, you know, it's, it's the, um, when you want to talk about something that's a little bit challenging, um, if you want to talk to someone about how they feel about, again, vaccination, um, it's really incredibly hard to talk to an emotionally immature person on either side about what the opposing group thinks or what Mm -hmm. other kinds of research there are or it's, it's very difficult because it's such an, everything's emotional about that. Yeah. And, and not just that everything's emotional. Everything is about my feelings. Right. Yes. And, and if something doesn't jive with my feelings, then there's a sort of zero tolerance policy there yeah. or, or, or at the very least um, a lot of complaining. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's it's really I think what we're talking about this because this is this is nuanced because in in other podcasts and other conversations we're going to talk about the essentialness of the I perspective of subjectivity mm-hmm. and how really that's the highest truth, um, but <laughs> prior to really truly understanding and realizing that people get caught in an inflated. Um, egocentric and frankly narcissistic version mm-hmm. of that it's the difference between solipsism and enlightenment right Enlight- enlightenment is is having a direct experience of i am the only thing in creation yeah in a very impersonal cosmic way but to a solipsist they make that same statement i am the only thing in creation but but the i is the small ego Right. And everybody else is just a figment of my imagination. And so none of them matter. Um, and those are two very, very different states of consciousness, even though they look yeah. and sound the same at the surface level. And so what we're talking about here is, is um, I think this might be on the list too, with this, this insistence on the subjectivity, it's everything is self-referential. Like whatever's going on in the world or whatever's happening in a relationship, it always comes back to me. Yeah. 
like how whatever, does... I'm, whatever I'm feeling about this is, is the truth right? rather than what's the facts of the situation. Right. Right. So we run into this when, um, if someone's having an argument, I mean, I've heard this a number of times with clients, um, this person always yells at me mm. when the reality is the person's never yelling. There's a tone difference, mm -hmm. but there's no raised volume. Right. Those right. kinds of things. And so you might be the more calm person or aware person and say, I'm not yelling, but to the person that you're speaking to, who's more emotionally mature, doesn't matter. I feel that you're yelling. Right. Yes. I, I think another way of, of phrasing it or expressing it is, is that it's a refusal to um, accept and process and integrate new data points. Mm hmm Right, those new data points are, are what we would call the objective. Um, they're right. sort of out there, available in the realm of of creation, and everything is consistent with the the other points we've talked about up until here. It's 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 recognizing that um, I don't know highest truth yet, mm -hmm. and if I want to, I have to be willing to accept new data points that seem to be outside me, that, that seem to be a part of some objective reality that isn't a part of my current sense of who I am. Right. And I have to be willing to take those in and integrate them and, and let them create a little bit of discord or heat or tension or discomfort or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I would say this is something that was particularly difficult for me throughout my life. Um, is being able to, in an emotional state, be able to step back and look at the facts of what's actually happening. Um, just because I, I hadn't practiced being with my emotions. Yeah. I hadn't practiced that. So I yes. can remember even when we were, remember when we were first looking for office space and I was walking through these different spaces and um, if I didn't like the way I felt about the space, even if it like was irrational, yeah. um, the space would have been fine. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. like, yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm probably making faces, but I'm not, I'm not about your specific example, although I do remember that. I, yeah. I'm listening to your specific example and, and thinking of of the the sort of broader patterning of mm. this and and what it what you're describing and why i'm sort of if i am making a face i'll we'll check the video replay mm -hmm. um it's it's because there's this spiritualized ego tendency with this particular pattern of emotional maturity to elevate intuition to supreme truth sure and and say yeah. well i just felt that I felt this way and nobody's going to talk me out of that. Mm -hmm. No matter, no matter what information I get from out here, my intuition is, is God. And so I'm just going with it without yeah. any real evaluation or even understanding of how intuition works <laughs> and <laughs> the fact yeah. that it is not universal truth. So what's difficult for people who um, are in intuitive, like you and I are both very intuitive. Right. Um, I want to say about some of those like places that we looked at 
uh, there were so many um, conflicting messages that were happening as you and I were looking for office space. I had a very, uh, uh, some kind of clear picture in my head of what kind of space I like to work in. You had mm-hmm. some different idea. We would walk through these spaces that I didn't feel right to me. So there was a lot of emotion to that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of fear to that process, like opening our own clinic for the first time ever. Um, yes, I was becoming more intuitive and learning to trust that. And so um, what was my intuition? What was my emotional maturity? What was my trauma? I mean, it was yeah. all talking at the same Ex- time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's all got something to say, but it's not, it's not, it's not God dropping the, the 10 commandments yeah. etched in stone on yeah. the top of the mountain. Um, yeah. It's not that it's not that black and white. <laughs> right. It's very hard when people are developing their intuition and learning to trust that to separate mm-hmm. it and discern it out from emotionality. Yeah, it's really hard. It is. Um, and it takes a and it takes a long time. And I think there's a tendency to rush into I can completely trust my intuition before yes. you've really worked through the discernment process long enough. Right. That's just at least my experience with people mm-hmm. and myself. Okay. Uh, the next one. Uh, people who have, are emotionally mature have. Uh, little respect for differences. They are afraid of differences and they're really only comfortable in, with people with role-related relationships and they want people to stay in their roles. Yeah. So, um, and they want those people to have the same beliefs. So this is kind of the dynamic of like family stays together. Mm-hmm. Um, I am the mother, you are the child. We want, we need to be relating in that way. Even when children grow up and become grown ups, mm-hmm. mothers still want some mothers still want their children to be subservient or dependent on them mm-hmm. because that's what they trust. They trust yeah. the roles and that to them is loyal and predictable and safe. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that this is again it's sort of a summation of, of the other points we've already talked about it's a refusal to accept new data points and integrate them mm-hmm. an inability or an unwillingness to sit in tension or be uncomfortable um, creating these rigid roles black and white roles mm-hmm. you know no i'm the man in the relationship and you are the woman in the relationship and therefore these are all of the things I do and you cannot do them or you're actually sort of tearing down my identity. Yeah. Yes. I think one of the ways this shows up for me um, is kind of interesting. Um, There are people that I work with where it's very important for them to see me as an expert. Mm. And so, um, and to be in this kind of uh, position of, um, expertise and be in control and have the knowledge to to help them along. And so sometimes it might take me many sessions for them to develop enough rapport with me to begin to trust themselves and to begin to to, um, separate themselves from the role of patient and me from the role of therapist. Mm. So I'm mindful of that. I'm very conscious of that. Some clients will come in 
and you can be human with them. Mm-hmm. Like you can be flawed. You can have similar struggles. You can have real conversations with them because they don't need you to be the expert on their right. life or be in control in some way. And right. some patients do not have the ego strength, the personality development or the emotional maturity to be able to tolerate that level of realness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it's same, same thing with, um, uh, I wanna say like parent-child dynamics. Um, it's normal and natural for children to grow up and move out of child and become grown up and then eventually become caregiver of the parent. Mm-hmm. And the degree of suffering that each person goes through in that very natural process of the cycle of life really shows you how basically how emotionally mature the people are. Right. And the parent relax and let go and allow the child to go to college or grow up and move away or yeah Yeah. and can the can the parent allow their child to come and take care of them when they're elderly Mm -hmm. and can the child separate appropriately from the parent and become their own person individuated from their parent right become a, a person that's on equal ground with their parent not looking to them like you're my mom you're the expert on my life Right. And also not moving into the world and projecting that onto everybody else in the world and expecting to be coddled and taken care of and nurtured and all of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anything outside of a role related relationship where things are defined by an archetype or by, um, you know, set rules is very uncomfortable for people who are emotionally immature. Mm -hmm. They want you to play by the script that they've given you. Right. And if you don't, then, you know, they do the other things. <laughs> they have low stress <laughs> tolerance. <laughs> right. They, they avoid you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. So the next one is um, people who are emotionally immature tend to be egocentric. Um, they act childishly, mm-hmm. but not childlike. There's a difference. It's normal for a child to be egocentric. That's part of the brain development of a child and the emotional development of a child to be, to see the world from an eye centered place. And that slowly dissolves as, as they get into their teen years and they learn to see the world as a more, uh, a full place full of people with many different perspectives and views. Um, and so they're, people can kind of get stuck in that early phase. Um, And when they're stuck in that early phase of development and they haven't been able to safely view the world and feel safe in that larger perspective, um, then you'll have grownups that act like children. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll never forget um, being on a date. And uh, (laughs) this is before, (laughs) before I knew better. Um, But no, to my credit at the time, I didn't really know better then, but, but this was enough of a red flag that I went, uh, I think I'm done (laughs) when, uh, (laughs) um, I don't even remember what the con the conversation was, but, um, 
this woman that I was on a date with literally got upset and stomped her foot. Oh. And, <laughs> and it was like, not with me per se, right. yeah. um, or not with me at all. It had to do with another conversation with somebody or maybe even a conversation we were having, but she got upset and like stomped her foot. And I went, okay. Um, the last time I saw somebody do that, they were six. Yeah. And that was enough for me to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yes, we, we carry these childish qualities. Well, let's, let's distinguish everything that a child does at that age is childlike when, mm -hmm. so if you behave like a child, when you're a child, that's being childlike. Yeah. When, when you behave like a child, when you're an adult, that's being childish. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're talking about emotional behavior. Right. There are Stomping, certain yelling, throwing, throwing tantrums, things. or in this case, just everything coming back to an egocentrism. Again, all of these points that we've discussed are all very closely related. It's yep. no, I have this viewpoint and and mine is more important because I'm more passionate. I mean, clearly I'm really upset and having a lot of feelings here. Yep. And that that is indicative of of how right I am. <laughs> Right. It just, it doesn't make any sense. It's just this kind of chaotic um, emotionality, very black and white, rigid mindset, um, d d refusal to um, soften one's viewpoint and accept new data and integrate mm -hmm. that, refusal to live in tension. It's, it's yeah. an avoidance of the discomfort. It's also, it's all of these things that we've talked about that, that kids do because they don't have developed egos yet and they're, and they're working on it. Their, right. their, their works in progress. But, yep. but when we do that as, as an adult, that's, that's being childish. Mm -hmm. But there is, um, you know, Jesus teaches um, to his disciples at some point, he points to uh, a child in the midst of the crowd and says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a child. And so there's a teaching there, but that teaching is about being childlike, which has to do with sort of like I described earlier, maintaining a sense of wonder, curiosity, Joy. innocence, yeah. innocence ex openness, yep, exploration, um, a willingness to be wrong, um, not because you find that you have a problem with yourself, but because it's it's just assumed as a child that that you don't know shit, <laughs> right? <laughs> Ch children just assume that and they walk around the world in awe, looking for new things to learn, asking mm. questions of adults, watching things on TV, absorbing new information constantly. Right. Um, so that's, that's the childlike quality that um, is something that we do want to stay plugged into and is an essential component of our uh, growth psychologically and spiritually. Um, that's not the same thing as being emotionally childish. Right. I want to read a little passage from the book. Great. Uh, it says here, uh, normal children are egocentric as youngsters, but the self-involvement of emotionally immature adults is more childish than childlike. Unlike children, their egocentrism lacks joy and openness. Mm. Emotionally immature people are self-preoccupied in an obsessed way, not with the innocence of a child. Young children are self-centered because they're still commanded by pure instinct, by the unconscious, mm -hmm. right? 
but emotionally immature adults are commanded by anxiety and insecurity, like wounded people who must keep checking their intactness. They live in the perpetual state of insecurity, being afraid that they'll be exposed as bad, inadequate, or lovable, and they keep their defenses high so other people can't get close enough to threaten their shaky sense of self-worth. Yeah. That's the difference. There's yeah. no joy, openness, and innocence in a egocentric grown-up. Right. So to paraphrase that, I would say that being childlike is being egoless, mm. and and being childish is having a fragile ego. Yeah, defended ego. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So kind of along the same point here, um, or very similar. Emotionally immature people are self-preoccupied and self-involved, kind of like someone with like chronic pain is constantly thinking about the pain. Mm -hmm. uh, people who are emotionally immature are constantly thinking about whether their feelings are hurt and if they're getting what they need and those mm -hmm. kinds of uh, internal mm -hmm. processes. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of similar, I think. They hate to yeah. be criticized. They get very defensive. Um, and they try to minimize their mistakes. Mm -hmm. so, so I, I do want to say one more thing, though. Already. Sorry. Um, people commonly come to us and say, my ex is a narcissist. I mean, I've time. heard that a constantly. thousand times. Yes, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> Without a psychiatric diagnosis, which yeah. like to be have narcissistic personality disorder is, yeah, there are a, a list of, of, symptoms and diagnostic right. criteria right it's not something just throw out anyways this emotional immaturity being self-absorbed i think is what people are actually talking about they're mistaking this right. for narciss narcissistic personality disorder right and and often we see this communicated from from people at least it's often for me um it, it eventually comes out if they stick around long enough to get through some work that the the constant need to to sort of say how victimized they were and by their narcissistic other um is in fact a sign of their own ego fragility yeah and and their own self-centeredness yes absolutely yeah 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 so um antidotes to oh, yeah. the self-centeredness. I feel like we skipped a few of these antidotes. No, I don't think we did. No? Okay. No. Um, so for me, if I'm with someone who, <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is when I'm with someone who has a lot of this self-absorption, honestly, is to minimize my time with that person. Okay. If, if it's not a client, I mean, obviously if this is a client, I'm going to be there. That is my, my uh, desire is to support someone. But if this is just a peripheral person in my life, I'm probably not going to spend a lot of time with them because it's okay. a very challenging dynamic. Okay. Um, I'd have a boundary around that. Hmm. How about you? Well, um, I know we didn't necessarily set it up this way, but what seems to be happening is that you're, you, you're offering antidotes and advice for how to be with somebody who exhibits these traits and, and, and i'm 
Yeah, I'm doing that for a reason. I figured ahead. I figured you were. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to do that. So that was that was my preamble. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to offer something for those who um, are willing to look at this list and listen to this and 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 go. Okay, hold on. How do I know if this is me? And if I spot some of this in me, how do I how do I become aware of it and how do I work my way out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a tough one because this one's particularly nefarious because people who are particularly self-absorbed um, won't often have the ability to to stop and reflect and <laughs> execute this um, mm-hmm. this task or. Or, or take, you know, if you insist that you don't have the disease, why are you going to take the antidote, right? Sure. Um, so the, the throwaway answer to all of these is to, you know, work on your humility would, would right. be the simple answer. Um, be willing to be wrong. But a particular one here that, that might be helpful for people is um, I think that this is this particular um expression of emotional immaturity or 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 lack of development um of of expanded consciousness um is why there's a lot of teaching in many traditions about the importance of service and and being of service is a really easy way to take yourself out of your self-preoccupation mm-hmm. yeah. so. um can be <laughs> yeah uh, again but as we know we have there's a lot of spiritualized ego around being of service that or, is that is that's also nefarious yeah, of course yeah there there are no panaceas here um but uh it's it's just something uh, because otherwise the i'm just offering the same advice for every bullet point <laughs> which is which are just varying ways of saying get over yourself um, <laughs> i mean that's a good that's a good I mean, remedy though yeah stop taking yourself so damn seriously i mean i don't get you really really far in life sure um yeah. but but if somebody has come has done enough work perhaps and is in a place where they recognize shit i have been really self-centered and really self-absorbed um and I, and now that I'm paying attention and I'm practicing being in my observer function, I'm recognizing that anytime something happens, it comes back to, to me, 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 and how does this affect me? And what about my feelings and so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. If, if, if somebody has come to that place and recognize that, um, being of service can be a great way to, um, right. help reconnect you with the reality of the other. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. As a little bit of shock therapy. Yeah. I remember um, in my 20s, I used to, uh, on purpose, watch reality TV whenever I was feeling a little shitty about my own life mm. <laughs> as kind of the, <laughs> it's kind of bizarre therapy, but, yeah, yeah. but it reminded, and I would watch other things too. Like I would watch um, documentaries about drug addiction um, or crime. Um, because it reminded me of the wholeness of reality of, of that people are experiencing a wide variety of things. And, you know, the fact that my daughter didn't go to take her nap that day, um, right. not to make small of my own feelings, but to remind myself of everything else that's happening in the world. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, to that, to that point, um, you know, looking at what's going on in the world now, 
and and uh, you know we've been in the midst of COVID and all of the polarity that that's created, the yeah. division um, side picking sides on masks, vaccines, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so put that aside for a moment. Um, right or wrong, the reputation of Americans in the international community is of being very self-centered. Um, and that's a whole separate conversation. There's a, there's a positive quality to that. Um, that's part of why this country became what it did in, in such a short amount of time. Um, and then of course there's a shadow side, um, as well. Um, but just, just recognizing that, that for whatever reason that, um, that is the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the reputation mm-hmm. um, of Americans as a whole. Yeah, and the archetype of the American. Th- that's right. right. Yeah. And so you, and you look at how that shows up in some of the self-centeredness and the black and white thinking and the rigidity and the, in the fighting and the polarity that's taken place over something like wearing a mask. And I'm, I'm not even telling you which side I'm, I'm not referring to one side or another. Right. Um, and then you look at what then happens and is going on now between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and if that doesn't reset your egocentrism, <laughs> then right, you're pretty then you're, deeply then, unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're, yeah. then you're, then you really need to listen to this in the next yeah. podcast on repeat. Um, mm-hmm. Because I brought this up because it's a more topical version of this, what you described with the reality TV and what I was talking about with being of service. Um, there's an invitation here as uh, the collective psyche undergoes its alchemy and transformation to look over there at what's happening and use it as a data point to reevaluate um, our own black and white thinking, our own rigidity. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we shared a, a video that we saw today um, of a, uh, a Russian soldier who had been captured by Ukrainians and they were feeding him and calling his mom on video chat Face time. Mm-hmm. to let to let her know that he's captured but he's okay right. um, you know and he can barely contain himself and, and all of that and so so you look at, at the way that some people find it within themselves to drop all black I mean there's the invitation to be as black and white <laughs> You have invaded our sovereign nation, right? And may have killed some of our citizens, mm-hmm. and that's non-negotiable, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, and have every right to, you know, treat him horribly, so right. to speak, right? Um, and they're not doing that. No. And and I look at that, and I come back into the conversations that we're having in this country, and go, okay. If, if you can't look at that as an example of how to be around something like whether people are wearing a mask, whichever side you're on, then that's a really missed opportunity. Right. Yeah. So the reason why I'm not speaking to what people who are watching this can do about their own thing is that people who are watching this are more emotionally mature folks. Yeah. And so the, the difficulty, most of the difficulty in their lives are in dealing with people around them who are less emotionally mature, which is, that's just why I'm sure. focusing on that. 
Yeah, you didn't need to explain that, but great. Well, I'm explaining it for everyone watching. Okay. I mean, to obviously, or maybe not obviously, it's important to understand if any of these things ring true for you in some way, and you feel like, oh, maybe I have been kind of uh, focused on myself, or I have been have a very poor stress tolerance around uh, low stress tolerance around these topics, then absolutely um, begin to think about what those are in what situations you have more rigidity around your thinking, less stress tolerance, you want to avoid things. And I mean, go seek a therapist, obviously, sure. <laughs> find someone to talk to about it. Don't talk right. about this with less emotionally mature people, because they won't be able to be present for you. Right. Well, I think especially because the, the context of in which many people are watching this has to do with a relationship. It is, it's right. important to work on both sides of this and yep. not just how do we be with this within ourselves, but how do we work with it when we recognize it in the other. But um, to everybody listening, Jamie is giving you more credit than I am. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is just so common. I mean, the fact that we, we work with people in relationships who are struggling with this stuff is just so common. I think yes. it's awesome that you have taken the point of how to deal with this within yourself. And I'm taking the point of mm -hmm. what do you do with your little old grandma who can't. Sure. Well, your different that. viewpoint makes me feel uncomfortable. Does it? No. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to do a human thing there for a minute. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. And even if it did, I'd get over it pretty quick. Right. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up for today with that, okay. I think. Yes, we'll come let's. back with the next episode. We are probably a third of the way through our list. There's much more. Okay, we'll Stay be back tuned. with more, everybody. See you soon. <laughs>